You're listening to a curated podcast from the Beyond Infinity radio program broadcast live on Tuesdays from 11am from our Mornington studios in Victoria, Australia. Presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. Into our science and technology news for the week. If you've ever used Google Earth, you'll know that it's a really useful tool for, you know, if you want to plan a holiday somewhere and you want to look at what mountains Mm -hmm. look like and it allows you to sort of do perspective views. So you can, instead of just looking sort of a bird's eye view, you can slide down and and see a perspective view. Amazing to look at the things like the Himalayas. You can circle around a mountain peak. It might be K2 or Mm -hmm. Everest or one of those sort of mountains and get these incredible views which are built up by lots of satellite imagery combined with, I believe, some plane imagery. Mm -hmm. And a lot of buildings and stuff have been rendered in 3D yeah. as well so you can go to Manhattan you can look at buildings and, and famous capital cities around the world Paris and yeah. elsewhere and get a really good idea of what the architecture is like but one of the other things that Google Earth is used for apart from just planning trips and kind of spinning out at how beautiful the earth is and exploring is actually finding archaeological sites there's a team of researchers there uh, over in the Middle East and they've found 400 unreported stone structures in the desert in Saudi Arabia. And this is in a very dry area, mm-hmm. not where they expected to find the remnants of thousands-year-old mm-hmm. human-built objects. They've nicknamed them gates because that's what they sort of look a bit like from on high. Okay. One of the great things is you can find something on Google Earth and then you can potentially go and have a look, you know, to drive a four-wheel drive or drive, get in there on a camel or yeah. whatever and actually see what these things look like at ground level. Apparently, it is hard to get permits to fly over and do aerial surveys of Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. from the government there. Mm-hmm. So these archaeologists have benefited a lot from uh, Google. The satellite imagery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So just another, another example of where Google Earth can be really useful. This has actually been reported in the November issue of Arabian Archaeology and Epigraphy. It's a view into our past, really, isn't it? Quoting from one of the researchers involved, uh, we tend to think of Saudi Arabia as a desert, but in practice there's a huge archaeological treasure trove out there and it needs to be identified and mapped. That's according to David Kennedy, an archaeologist at the University of Western Australia. You can't see them very well from the ground level, but once you get up a few hundred feet or with a satellite even higher, these objects stood out beautifully. Just a, another example of discovering things through Google Earth, which is available for everyone. Yeah, so, I mean, anyone can you, go on and have a look. If you want to go and scour Saudi Arabia, you've got a few mm-hmm. uh, hours to kill, jump on Google Earth and, and, and drill down with these amazing satellite mm. images and, and see what you can see. I remember looking at China, I think it was Western China years ago, and someone had actually said, did you know there are pyramids in China? Okay. And there are. Okay, right. uh, I think they're step pyramids, mm-hmm. so they're not kind of uh, the smooth-edged ones that we, we're familiar with in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And we actually have got a podcast we did some time ago called the Step Geoglyphs of Kazakhstan. And these are a bit like in Peru, there's those huge drawings of spiders and other objects that have been done only really visible or best viewed from on high, from mm-hmm. well above. And yet the people who, who mapped them out on the ground didn't have the ability to fly above them. No. So they were able to do these things very precisely. So they looked right from you know thousands of feet up. So that's one that you might want to have a look at, the steppe geoglyphs in Kazakhstan. Just going back to Saudi Arabia, the, the other thing that they've found, because there's evidence of human habitation, because they've seen these objects in the Arabian desert, they've found evidence for a green Arabia, an epoch suggested by theory that the area swung between wet and dry periods for over the last million years or longer. The lava fields are often rich in archaeological remains, implying a moister past and more abundant vegetation, and recent fieldwork identifying larger settlement sites support this notion so we're getting a hint of changed climate mm-hmm. uh, in the arabian peninsula as well yeah. so another benefit of google earth 
which just incidentally is a free download. You can get it for um, yeah. Android or iOS devices. And I think you can even get a desktop Definitely. version of the app. Yeah. Now, a couple of really neat devices for people who may be hard at hearing or hard at seeing. Cochlea, which is an Australian company that's developed the bionic ear, and this has been a huge breakthrough for a lot of people mm. who've had problems with hearing. They've been working closely with Apple to develop an app so that you can run the latest cochlear device from your phone. And what this does is it allows people who previously would not have had access to music, mm -hmm. streaming music or FaceTime mm -hmm. or, or even voice calls can now stream that information from their phone to this little device. So it's sending the message straight to the device. Exactly. It's not having to go through... So it's, going through yeah. it's going through Bluetooth. Yeah, right. And it's just giving people access to stuff which they didn't previously have. I mean, people who've, who've got normal hearing, they haven't had a problem with this. Mm. You've been able to, you know, you can either... Take it for... Exactly, you take it for granted, yeah. It's called the Nucleus 7 sound processor. As I mentioned, it will allow you to stream sound directly from a compatible iPhone, iPad or iPod Touch. The app that controls this, I believe, is free. There are, according to Cochlear, 360 million people living with disabling hearing loss worldwide. And uh, this, is, this figure is set to more than triple to 1.2 billion by 2050. According to the World Health Organization, there are approximately 72 million people who could potentially benefit from the use of a hearing device, including a cochlear implant or hearing aid. So as I said, you can make phone calls, you can stream music, you can actually tweak the settings of the device from your phone as well. So, you've so got more increase the volume, decrease. Yeah, you've yeah. got more control over it. You can even get a waterproof Nucleus Aqua Plus accessory for your Nucleus 7 sound processor from Cochlear, and that'll make it waterproof if you mm. want to go swimming with it as well and still be able to hear. What else can I tell you? Look, it's, it's, I think it's going to be a, a huge hit for them. It does even things like if you're in a busy restaurant, it'll single out words rather than other ambient noise. Yep. So there's a bit of kind so of... So noise cancelling effect. A bit of yeah. sound cancellation and, and sound management there as well. It prioritises voices over background sounds in a noisy environment. It really will open up a whole world of sound to people who have previously struggled. So this is a really good one to keep, keep an eye out for. Apparently there's 450,000 people around the world who can now hear thanks to Cochlear's technology. This is really interesting, this Nuclear 7 bimodal solution. You can have a hearing aid in one ear, you can have a cochlear implant on the other ear mm -hmm. because people's hearing is often different from mm -hmm. ear to ear. Yep. And the device will actually synchronize the audio input from both of those devices. So it'll... Your, um, adjust for any variations. Exactly, might exactly. Yeah, okay. So if you've got hearing that's uh, different from ear to ear, the app and the connection to your smartphone as i understand it it's it's only iphones and uh, ios devices at this stage it'll be able to kind of combine information mm. from a uh, from a hearing aid as well as your cochlear device so good news there for the uh, the hard at hearing now a little bit more on you know devices to help people who may have hearing or sight impediment there is now a wristband that people who who have limited vision can wear mm -hmm. and it uses echolocation and haptic pulses on your wrist it just looks like a looks like a Fitbit or something. So the haptic pulses being sort of the buzz. Haptic pulses, get, yeah. yeah. And I think that because uh, phones have them when you yeah phones have them when with, you do you tap your keyboard and you might feel that buzz that yes. vibration in your phone. Yep. And and same with uh, Apple watches, mm -hmm. they've got it as well. So if you receive a notification, you'll feel a little pulse mm -hmm. through the underside. Well, that what this is doing is the same kind of thing. It's sending out a high frequency sound wave that bounces off objects as far as fourteen feet in front of the user. This allows you to effectively 
create a mental map of the world around you using echolocation. Mm. So a really good little device, portable, doesn't rely on your smartphone or anything. It can work on its own. Mm -hmm. And I think by training you to go, oh, that kind of input, that kind of buzz on my wrist means something's closer. Mm -hmm. Over time, you can train yourself to use this as a way to actually see around you. It may not be for, be for people who are completely blind, but I think for people who maybe only have 10% vision, which I think legally means you're blind, yep. it can be very, very useful. This is like a bat sonar type it's system. It's made by it? a company yeah. called Sunu, S-U-N-U. One of the things that uh, that I thought was really interesting is there's a man who's known as the, the real-life Batman, and he trains visually impaired people to create a rudimentary form of echolocation by clicking his tongue against the roof of his mouth. And this is a tactic he's learned on his own. Mm -hmm. And by clicking, this man, Daniel Kish, uh, who lost both eyes to cancer as a toddler, is even able to ride a bike on city streets. You He's completely blind. You can train yourself. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. No, no sight at all. You can train yourself to use echolocation, mm. even just using clicks of your tongue if you're good enough. But otherwise, you might want to get hold of this Sunu wristband and uh, take advantage of that silent high-frequency sound and vibration to alert you to what's going on around you. Oh, wow. So some good advances there for uh, people with uh, hearing or sight limits. And just finally, two stories on, uh, on Mars. The Mars rover is progressing towards resumed drilling. For the last, I think it's about 10 months, they haven't been able to use the drill. One of the things that they can do with the Mars Science Laboratory, the Curiosity rover, mm -hmm. as it's called, is they can find a rock sample they're interested in. They can actually uh, put the robotic arm over it and a couple of stabilizers on either side of the object and then the drill comes down and drills a hole in the rock mm -hmm. and then the, the scree that comes out of that can be taken and put and into an onboard laboratory and they can find out exactly what it's made up of mm. and stuff like that, which is obviously very useful. The drill hasn't been working properly. So the stabilizers have come down, then the drill hasn't actually been entering the rock properly. So what they're looking to do is instead of using the stabilizers at all, actually use the motion of the whole arm, right. turn yeah. on the drill, and then use the whole arm to drill down into a rock. Mm. One of the things they don't want to do is they don't want to they don't want to jam a drill in a rock. And then be that, stuck that, there. In maybe the they'd be stuck there. Yeah. Or maybe they'd have a way of breaking it off and replacing it, perhaps. I'm mm -hmm. not sure. But certainly, it, it could also damage hardware. They have had some problems. This is a really important instrument to be able to get down into a, into a rock and mm -hmm. drill a hole. So they are looking to use the robotic arm, which has a whole lot of other instruments on it as well, including a camera. They're going to use that whole arm to do it. And apparently testing with a test rover at JPL in Pasadena has been going very well on this. So fingers crossed we may be back to resumed drilling mm. on the surface of Mars. Just finally from me before I hand over to John, we know from orbiters as well as even from earth that mars has a very very thin atmosphere and therefore the surface of mars is very very exposed to radiation mm -hmm. from space and from the sun they know this in particular because there was a recent big solar storm i think it was on september 12 and 13 that fired out a whole lot of radiation. On Earth, we're protected by our magnetic field mm -hmm. and our atmosphere, particularly our magnetic field, which is strong when solar radiation hits it. And it's like a magnet that's opposing Well, well it's, the, it spreads yeah. it off. It, it basically hits it like a bubble and goes around it. Mm -hmm. Mars doesn't have that. Mars has very little of a magnetic field in the way that the Earth does. And so these storms really do hit the whole surface mm -hmm. and cause global aurora. So you could get some beautiful uh, visuals if you if there. Well, but maybe not that the camera would be destroyed. Well, well, exactly. And your eyes may be burnt out of your head by the radiation. So it has lessons because we want to send humans to colonize the red planet and knowing about the radiation environment, what happens if, if there's a massive solar storm? Mm -hmm. Well, they already do have
have detectors in orbit around the sun, which mm-hmm. could give you an early warning, yep. but you probably may need to go underground. And this yep. is something they've actually been talking about is using lava tubes and some of the caves they know exist on mm-hmm. both our moon and on Mars as places to build potential habitats. Yeah, so right. you may not be living on the surface under a bubble or in a spacecraft. It may not be safe to do that. Not only on the surface, but also on the journey from the Earth to Mars, you're going to need radiation uh, protection as well. That's been confirmed by measurements that were taken by the Curiosity rover on the surface and also the MAVEN orbiter, as well as other orbiters that are going around and around Mars. They all picked up this event from the sun and described the increase in radiation as you know really quite disturbing mm. unless you've got adequate protection. What do you got, John? Well, as the world's uh, population continues to grow and as the threat of climate change increases the probability of uh, higher sea levels, mm. uh, agriculture, and particularly food, is um, becoming a bit of a problem. And so scientists are looking at alternate ways to you know, grow and cultivate uh, food. Right. And one of, one of the things that uh, the Saline Alkali Tolerant Rice Research and Development Centre in Qingdao have done is plant 200 types of rice in basically a, a seawater area, so it's a rice paddy that is fed by seawater that is then diluted from some other regular fresh water as well but still saline and been able to grow rice now this is something they're looking to essentially cultivate the output they expected around about 4.5 tons per hectare but they actually got four types that were coming in at 6.5 to 9.3 tons per hectare so it actually thrived and actually went really really well so this is going to be something that potentially can feed around 200 million people on, on per year this will obviously take some time to really develop and you know get out there but it looks to be around about seven dollars fifty us per kilogram which is a huge cost difference from regular rice right but as the economies of scale improve and the research improves we, we should see that cost come down so it could be that sea rice it becomes a staple for maybe the you know, third world or even just you know everywhere even in the first world fantastic as well. now we talked about Bitcoin before and the you know the strength to strength price that we're seeing, and not only in the the value of Bitcoin but the value of the name blockchain. Blockchain is what supports the back end of Bitcoin. It's the sort of the the algorithms and the structure behind it. Mm-hmm. And a company has found that by adding blockchain to its name, it saw a huge surge in its shares. So this is a company that was called Online PLC, but recently they changed their name to be online blockchain plc and that meant a 394 percent jump in their share price in one day so we should rename our our program bitcoin news yeah beyond bitcoin uh, (laughs) infinity so and that that is what's getting people's attention so Mm. yeah this it's still trading quite well and this is a huge jump this this shares i mean i'm looking at some historical data of 12 months and it's just this absolute huge jump that you see on that day so there are other companies that are now recognizing that by introducing this i mean you've got to back it up if if all of a sudden that's just a marketing ploy and they're not delivering on some kind of blockchain technology that's going to support business or or, you know, regular users, then obviously their share price is, is going to correct and come back down. But if it's legitimately to do with blockchain and then incorporating that into some kind of digital or cryptocurrency system, then it is worth that research and development and, uh, you know, good luck to them, I say. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Now, um, we some of us get annoyed with all of these captures that we see. And this is when you maybe go to submit a form on a website or you submit an inquiry. Basically, if the website that you're visiting wants to confirm that you're 
uh, a real human and not a bot. Capture is where you might see where you have to enter uh, what the words say or you have to identify what uh, is in the picture, you know, mm. you know, click on the cars that are in the picture, etc. And for years, this has been very solid and a great way to prove that you are a human because it's Because difficult. otherwise there are bots out there that can just jam up these sites and they're not a real visitor, exactly. but they're kind of posing as a visitor. Yeah, is this for malicious reasons? What's the benefit to the person who's set up the bot for, to, to be able to do that? Well, for, I say, a regular website, look, even in, for example, for our website, yeah. uh, if we did not have that kind of capture system on there, mm. then what would happen is there'd be bots out there trying to spam the comment section of our post that we put up. Right. And then there would be links back to their website. So if we auto-moderated and basically said any link is okay, then all of a sudden there's all these what we call backlinks that go back to these okay, other sites. It just sites, jams up your website. Just jams it up. And it could be for other malicious purposes. Maybe they want to sell you something you know, Viagra pills, for example, which seem to be, you know, or maybe it's um, Nigerian prince that's, uh, you know, wants to share the money that you owned or something, you know, some (laughs) other crazy idea. So there are bots that are doing this all day, every day. And there's some sites that I've worked on before where they haven't been updated properly and you can see that all the spam that comes in and it's purely because there's not a system like this. Now, unfortunately, machine learning has been basically developed so that it can read these systems. This has sort of been known about for a couple of years. It's actually taken a, a some time and until recently now to actually prove that it can decipher these captures and so it it looks kind of at the hard outline of these letters and then can work backwards you know using the machine learning to actually identify well that's the letter a and therefore you know i'm going to guess that and it's actually proving to be quite good so So it's it means now that the system is potentially broken we need to look at an alternative way i know that google has already been talking about taking that capture system away because Mm -hmm. it looks at other impulses like how you move the mouse on your screen the right. kind of interactions that you have right. where you're coming from so there's a number of factors that it can use mm-hmm. um, I think it's probably a good sign that we're moving away from captures because you know whilst we need some kind of check it actually can be very frustrating for yes. a user experience mm. just uh, finally from me we reported last week the troubles essentially with Google's new phone so the Pixel 2 and the Pixel 2 XL mm. and on the larger display a lot of people have been complaining about a screen burning it's an LG made screen Mm -hmm. and OLED technology and this has caused some users concern because the burn-in basically means like there's a ghosting effect on that screen and with phones that are only a couple of weeks old what's it going to be like in six months time or 12 months time now Google have listened to this concern and uh, normally their warranties on phones is one year they've actually come out and said we're happy to provide a two-year warranty on these phones Mm. they're trying to quash the concerns Mm. I think they're going to stick around for some time Mm. it's a bit of egg on the face I think Mm. uh, for Google at this stage. For flagship, flagship for a product. flagship device. I mean, it's not cheap uh, to buy these phones. Right. You're looking at um, you know, $1,200 mm. you know, for mm. you know the XL, I think it mm. is. So if you're going to invest that money, you certainly want the best kind of screen. And you don't want yeah. rumors circulating around the time of launch that these things have got screen burn-in and other issues. And I think there are issues with both models, the XL as well as the standard That's right. The, the smaller one has the blue tinge that we right. reported on. So yeah, yeah. look, that's not as big a concern. Some people might be a bit picky on that. But when you're talking about two flagship devices direct from Google, mm. you actually expect the best. So look, we'll, we'll keep an eye on this story because it is Google and it is their flagship devices. Mm. And also, you know, in a month or two's time, we'll just see what the real user experience is like because this could be a little bit like Bengate was with Apple. You know, remember years ago when mm-hmm. they had the thinner device? It turned to be a bit of a furphy. It, it was. I mean, mm. there was people saying, oh, I can bend the phone. And okay, great. Yeah, of course. If you really put it through the test and you really want to bend it, yeah. sure you can. Bend any phone. Exactly. Yeah. So it could be, end up being a bit like that. Yeah. A quick update from me. 
about the latest iPhone X, the 10-year anniversary model, Mm -hmm. which has got that OLED screen and some quite interesting AR technology involved with it as well. There are going to be delays. I actually rang up a big retailer in Australia Mm -hmm. yesterday just to find out what the story was. They're going to be in stores, supposedly going to go on sale on November the 3rd. But uh, the pre-orders have already opened mm-hmm. and they were completely sold out. So I think it's, it's uh, if you pre-order, there's now a five to six week delay. Right. But I was hearing informally from a person who worked at a big retailer, not Apple, that you could well be waiting until early next year before you get one. And mm-hmm. that the allocation for the whole of Australia is really quite minimal. And this particular retail was favoring sale only on plan. So if you wanted to buy the phone outright, you just weren't able to. You Go were, on the you waiting were list, much yeah. further down the waiting list than people even uh, who wanted to buy on a plan. So looks like whether it's production related or whether it's just you know a very popular item mm-hmm. or a combination of both factors, mm-hmm. it looks like there are going to be some delays and getting hold of that latest iPhone X. Thanks for listening. And head to beyondinfinity.com.au for the best bits from the live show or to connect with us on social media. We welcome your feedback and suggestions for future shows.